This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Open Table. This is a show which wants to break down barriers. We want to build bridges and weave the fabric of a cohesive society. everyone welcome to another episode of open table and today with me i have two very amazing young ladies from the conscious club selena and kofi yay (laughs) so just to get the ball rolling and getting our um our discussion going i wanted the ladies um to introduce themselves so selena do you want to get us started yeah um i'm selena by malo um i I'm currently self-employed, um, organizing events, um, trying to do kind of 50-50 working on Conscious Club and 50, on, 50% on um, projects around the city, um, activating spaces. Um, but prior to that, I did employability and helping um, working at other, um, helping students get jobs um, and kind of teaching them employability skills and stuff like that. Nice. Thank you, Selena. And Kofi. Hello, I'm Kofi. Um, I I guess we can talk about nationality. I'm my dad's side is Samoan and my mum's side is Dutch. So yeah, I get a bit confusing sometimes. But, um, <laughs> work-wise, um, I was studied as a graphic designer and artist and throughout my work I always have a message of um, sort of social environmental sort of messaging so prior to the conscious club I did that and I um, did postgraduate as well where I developed a sustainable clothing brand using like off-cut fabrics and secondhand clothes to make new one-off items Mm. and then so I do that and then so I'm self-employed as well doing um, clothes design um, street art as well illustration and then the conscious club as well i'm the graphic designer and sustainability advisor that's it yeah oh interesting busy lady (laughs) (laughs) i know kofi's talked about her um her heritage did you want to talk to us about your selena because you just commented on it before (laughs) um yeah no worries um yeah so um, you may have noticed that I have a British accent, <laughs> um, but yeah, my heritage is Samoan. Both my parents are Samoan, um, and well, one's full Samoan and one's half Samoan, um, and they grew up in Christchurch, Otatahi, and um, but my dad played rugby league in the UK, and that's why I was born over there, and I've been here actually for ten years tomorrow. Um, it's my ten year anniversary. <laughs> so, oh wow! Yeah. Um, I might have a little British party tomorrow. (laughs) 
British food, um, which is just beans on toast. <laughs> Cup of tea. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd, I would say that because a lot of people get confused and when they talk to me and they're like, you don't sound like you look. <laughs> yeah, so it, yeah, can be confusing, especially on a podcast, actually. You just think I'm some British lady on the. <laughs> yeah, no. Whatever it is, you got you both are lovely ladies and inspire a lot of people from what I've heard. So let's get into a bit more detail around the Conscious Club. So what does the Conscious Club do? Um, <laughs> okay. um, we do events with purpose. Um, so we our like main values are um, diversity, inclus- inclusion, kaitiakitanga and ethical and so kind of really focusing on our core values around social and environmental issues Um, and we kind of do a really wide range of events um, from like sustainable markets, um, secondhand clothing markets, beach cleanups, um, chat series, um, art exhibitions. Anti-racism events. arty stuff creativity sort of just to engage the community in like a creative sort of way to care about big issues Mm. yeah so how did you guys start the conscious club did you um was there nobody who did this kind of stuff um so originally we began on Instagram (laughs) so we all met on Instagram um there was five of us to begin with um and it's kind of changed around a bit since then but we all kind of all had our own little micro businesses selling like either secondhand clothing or crafts and all were kind of sharing the same content around the environment and kind of like this is something you know like we all kind of wish seemed to have same values and we wanted to kind of catch up and then we did, we all met up and realized because we we're all in Christchurch and we were like, we need to um, do some kind of market where we can sell our stuff, but it has to all be sustainable um, and not just have like plastic stuff and that kind of thing um, or like imported stuff from China. And then um, we were like, oh, let's not just do markets because that's just, you know, there's lots of markets in um, Christchurch. And then, yeah, it evolved. We, um, yeah, we started in June 2019 so we've just been going over two years now mm, excellent so just because you mentioned about how you all met Sophie maybe coffee maybe you can tell us how you all met oh yeah I wasn't originally in the first group of the conscious club I met them through their first market and mm. exchange their first sustainable market because um, I'm not really a social media sort of person <laughs> and then selena saw that she was like oh my god she's got a degree in sustainable fashion she knows what she's talking about you should get her to join oh nice (laughs) yeah yeah basically just (laughs) it's like she's cool she's gonna be my friend (laughs) (laughs) so so then selena tell us how you met this group of people how did it all start um we yeah I guess we were just talking online at first and then we um yeah had our like it happened within like a couple of months I would say like it took us like two months to have our first event and we all met at the exchange which is like a 
creative workspace and they also had a cafe so we all had met there for a coffee discussed kind of what was going to happen and then booked the exchange because it was really um accessible at that point mm. um you know to rent like it was like literally the only place in Christchurch that we could afford wow and, and yeah so we're really stoked on that and at that time as well Kofi was a resident there like um doing her creative work at like having a studio in there um and that's how she became a stall holder at the first market um so yeah it kind of was really like as the years have gone on every, everything's kind of evolved and like everybody's been um interlinked and then um mm. one of the girls um who was originally in it moved to Berlin um and um went traveling and then that's when Kofi um jumped on board uh, which was awesome yeah I guess the events we focus on depends who's like in our group I guess it depends on what we care about and what we want to see happen mm. yeah considering you're so strongly driven by the idea of sustainability which is not just about economic sustainability but social and I'm guessing cultural as well yeah Be- yeah so, so let's talk a little bit more about the events that you guys have been holding. Which one has been your favorite? And both of you can have different answers here, yeah. <laughs> which will be good. <laughs> and why has it been your favorite one? Uh, you go first, Ko. Um, I guess uh, there's been a lot, but my favorite maybe was the clothing for a cause with collaboration with City Mission and Ada because it was just they had mountains of clothes that were going to go to landfill and um, Selena organized to step in and get all those clothes and then was it fill a bag and all the profits went to the City Mission but just seeing like all those clothes that we saved from landfill was like really cool Mm. because it was straight to the dump and and also the beach cleanups because we have like big jars of microplastics. I think like the visual stuff is very um, like the impacts more obvious, I guess, when you see the stuff that you're doing. Mm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Selena. Um, I would say um, we did one called Arts and Crafts for Australia, which was when um, the bushfires happened. in in Australia and there was all the wildlife um that they were like so much wildlife like thousands of wildlife that needed like um little pouches and and um knitted nests and stuff like that so we Mm -hmm. did like a a day at the exchange where everyone brought their sewing machines and knitting needles and crocheted and um and we printed off like all the patterns um to make all these pouches and um nests and just like smashed out like I think it was like 300 and something items that whole day like that the whole um that the whole community came together and and just crafted and talked about um because a lot of the people that came didn't have money to donate to the fires and but they felt like they were still contributing um with their skills and I think that is like something that um is is really important to do when you're trying to um make a difference is that it's not it's not always money that you can donate I think it's like action and seeing mm. the photos of the animals and the yeah little crocheted things. Oh, cool! Oh, I think I think that that that's such an important point that 
it's not just about the money, is it, when you're trying to bring about change. And the fact that you mentioned that just giving people the ability to contribute in ways which they could, which was probably here through the um, through the skills they had, was really important. And just even with the example of beach cleaning up, I think many people, um, did, did you have anybody in there who never understood the gravity of how much waste is put up at the beaches and who went back going, oh my God, I didn't realize this was the case? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we, um, when we we went to Sumner Beach and our main focus for collecting um, rubbish was microplastics. Mm. So we all had kind of like sieves and groveling through the sand, um, like sieving through the sand to get microplastics. And um, we collaborated with Our Seas, Our Future kind of did a little corredo with everybody around um, the impacts of the uh, wildlife that nurdles have and microplastics because a lot of the um, wildlife sea life um, confuse it for food because it looks mm. so similar to their food that they eat and then I think because like even collecting a jar of um, microplastics is like such a huge amount in comparison to like just picking up big bits of rubbish um, because we've just sat there for like hours collecting these tiny little pieces and um it kind of made a difference for when everybody in summer was going to the beaches they were like sifting through the sand looking for these microplastics and I think that was such an awesome um take back from the community mm. you don't notice the noodles if you're just looking at the sand but once you start like really focusing there you can see them like everywhere Mm. yeah so um so how many people turned up to this event of the beach cleanup I think like because it was like on for a few hours like it was kind of an all day kind of thing I think we had about 50 people throughout mm. the day that came and like lots of little um lots of families come and brought their children which is really cool um to get them involved and just really excited. it's kind of like a little treasure hunt for them and learning at the same time yeah and I can imagine people having younger kids because that's where you're starting to make the real difference with um, with the younger generation. So have you had any events with the younger generations? Uh, not particularly. Yeah, our, our target audience is sort of like 10 to 40 maybe. But yeah. uh, one of the girls is actually a primary school teacher and she runs... Um, like a sustainability group in her school, which is pretty cool. We do want to do more stuff with um, kids as well in the future. Mm. Yeah. All right. So the, from the highlights to um, to any of those lows that you might have experienced when you've been running the, in, over the time that you guys have been involved with the Conscious Club, and there might be many, but, you know, off the top of your mind, <laughs> of the top of your head maybe just a couple one from each of you around what have been the lows um I think one of the biggest challenges is that it's voluntary so we um volunteer our time and we've been doing it for two years now <laughs> um which has been a huge challenge for us like to put our own time into it when you um like because I worked a part-time job and did it part-time um like you lose out on money if you're putting a lot more um, energy into the free work, which, you know, we care about that a lot, but it can be really challenging um, 
but I guess there's a lot of pushback I guess from Christchurch which has been a big challenge well not so much in sustainability but the um um the racism anti-racism sorry not anti-racism event was kind of a really big um challenge for us um and I think so Kofi and I led that event and um because it, so that whole campaign was our friend was uh, racially attacked and we wanted to do something about it um with a series of events mm. I think um Christchurch is just not as um no, 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 it is open to it, but that it's just, um, we have a lot of challenges with um, Pākehā taking up brown spaces um, mm. and taking like funding opportunities and, and all kinds of just small inconveniences for us. <laughs> well, I'd like to come back to that. Maybe and I'm um, just once we've spoken to Kofi about what she feels her lows have been because that's a very interesting conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'd say mine are pretty similar. Like obviously, I'm self-employed, so um, and then do this voluntary. So when like the conscious club takes up more of my time, then I don't get paid at all, and then can't buy groceries stuff. <laughs> I'm helping the planet, so. It's all good. And um, uh, I mean, there's been so many challenges, just people being mean (laughs) and funding, I guess, getting funded, having the capacity to try and apply for funding while you're not making any money. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Because if you don't have time to dedicate to getting the funding, then you don't get the funding and that just means that the cycle just continues. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. So coming back to you, Selena, about when you're talking about the anti-racism event that you held, I know you said that that was challenging and crushed. It's probably not ready to have that conversation well enough, even after the 15th of March mosque attacks is, is, is interesting to listen to. So Tell us some, you know, share some insights around what were those difficult conversations when you had that? So I think, um, like, so we shared the story of our friend um, who was attacked. And I think just people like, you know, online, social media is really horrible thing. Um, Mm. And I think it can be powerful, but it also can be mentally challenging. So I think people are just like writing horrible things around, you know, you could get a thousand support messages but it's like two messages that you get that are horrible that really knock you down and and knock your confidence in what you're doing Mm. um but I think you know people were just questioning the story um you know like is this even real and blah 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 and then other people um were sharing their stories to us you know like this happened to me and 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 again that was really challenging you know like listening you know we we wanted to open this conversation but it was really um it was a lot and I think um it's that community like I think everybody says that they want to help but when it comes down to it they don't actually help and it it ends up being all of the brown people doing the work or or BIPOC you know like it's um 
and the, uh, yeah and I guess that whole allyship thing as well is um you know if you are going to be an ally you, you can't really sit on the fence you really just need to help and and not step back as much you know like if you you really want to help you need to stop oppressing the people that are trying to, <laughs> trying to do the work yeah no I think I, I I agree with that because quite a lot of people stay quiet because they're not they don't want to offend someone who is very dear to them and that could and and I like the 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 fact that you said that you can't be sitting on the fence with matters such as racism yeah Kofi do you want to add to that in terms of what has been your experience with that project I mean it was probably the hardest project we ever did but it was very meaningful and the event went really well and like we sold out and everything it was overall positive but just like I think when you're working in that space everybody kind of gives their two cents as well like even from like um other BIPOC people like you're not doing this right you're not doing that right like like from both sides and it's mm-hmm. like it's like when when we at least we're like doing it and trying to make a difference you know I mean? can't yeah. be perfect in every way and and I'm, I'm not sure if I followed on that event but did you have any speakers at that event yeah and who were those speakers yeah, uh, we had was it four speakers? Um, Mahdis Azamandi um, from UC. Yeah, we had um, oh my god, Big Seema, who's a Samoan hip hop artist. Right. Um, we had Yasmin. Yasmin. Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, Yasmin. She's Somalian descent, Somalian Muslim, and mm-hmm. and. Asama um Mohu is a Maori advisor at UC. Right. Um and yeah, it was a really like um really good speakers from different perspectives and like um Big Seema and Yasmin both shared their experiences with racism in Otatahi and Big Seema shared shared it from like a back in the day kind of perspective, like from his generation. And um Yasmin explained when she, she was growing up what challenges she faced and then we had um Magdis from UC who came from a like educational perspective on like you know her a lot of her research is on decolonization and anti-racism mm-hmm. um which was awesome you know like it was good to it was a really good mix and, and Atama shared it from a perspective of um he's, he's quite a, a he's a light-skinned Maori and he and he's got a um, tamaku and he can kind of share it from his perspective of racism even as a as a light-skinned person um the discrimination that he faces um and yeah and then at the end like because we had a few performances and slam poetry and the end we had an open mic where we let the audience get up and share their experiences if they felt um comfortable to do so and I think we had about six people get up or maybe even more um but that was a really um moving moment I think we all had a little cry at that point it was like everybody like it was just really heartwarming that people felt so safe enough to get up and um, be vulnerable in that moment to um feel connected to to everyone's stories and um and the different challenges that they've faced um with Mm. their ethnicity 
Yeah. So have the challenges for um, for all the people who who might have spoken up and some might not have. Do you think that was a representative of, uh, a, did it pick up a particular theme around what the experiences were? I know it's trying to minimize what we're trying to do in terms of addressing anti-racism, but was there like a common thread that went through all of their stories? Mm -hmm. There were so many different people like from different nationalities and backgrounds speak that they were all quite different. Mm. But um, I guess Christchurch in general is seen as quite like a racist city. So that's, I guess, their experience from coming from other places and then experiencing the culture of Christchurch is a lot different. Yeah, because mm. there was um, a guy who got up and he was from New York and he shared his experience with racism in America compared to here. And obviously it's a bit extreme in, in America because they've got guns over there and um, the things that he dealt with were insane. But he said that is, he could deal with that easier than he could here with the casual racism um, because he found it like that was um, more insulting to him than somebody attacking him. <laughs> like mm. pretty much in the, like yeah um, because that it, would yeah. be more direct isn't it yeah. yeah yeah it's like do I react or do I not react sort of like were they saying that or were they like you know what I mean mm. so when we say casual racism and just because we are we are, we are putting this as a podcast what what does that mean Lana, for someone who doesn't even understand what that means Yes, like casual jokes or remarks or like stereotyping. Mm, yeah. Um, Go ahead, I think, Selena. I think like um, we kind of did a little bit of research before the um, before the events around and different um, ethnicities about what they kind of face, and it's like you know just like Asians are bad drivers, and you know like all of these. Um, stereotypes that um are ca that's casual racism um that people just like brush off or like that um pronouncing people's names and, and that kind of mm. thing um which really frustrate you know what's infuriating for people who have to live with that and people that don't experience that um yeah mm. yeah uh, i think that those are quite common isn't it yes coffee i think i just remember the challenge like um people the biggest challenge was people not thinking like that racism is a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah. Because a lot of people would believe now that yeah. Christchurch being so multicultural doesn't have racism yeah. happening at all. I think there was the, because we've got such a high European population that wouldn't experience it, then it becomes like, the main narrative that it doesn't exist because the majority of people experiencing it are like a minority and trying to explain it to the majority of people that think the same way is really difficult. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 and the fact that it has come out in, in, and, and people felt safe within that event to actually share their stories is quite powerful. Yeah. yeah it was awesome. Mm. Yeah, we had a, um, 
an event as well before that one, which because with the um, campaign was a, a series of events. And one of the first events we did was share a um, the old documentary of Polynesian Panthers. And a lot of people that came to that didn't even know what Polynesian Panthers did for, you know, for that generation and the racism that they um, that they had to deal with. Mm. Then, was it like the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. So in like in the 70s, they had to deal with all this racism and the apartheid and all these challenges and they fought for us and created this group. And a lot of people didn't even know about it because our history isn't taught in Aotearoa. Yeah. yeah yeah I and, agree and and I think a lot of people after that were like wow you know like really got on board with um and you know and then you know Josiah started the petition for um getting the uh, apology and I think you know there's just the, I think the young generation care um you know and they're starting to make this change and I think that's that's awesome mm. so because you mentioned about the younger generations do you think the um and this is not just about the Maori or the Pacific or even ethnic communities, because I come from an ethnic uh, community. Do you think that the younger generations or the generations who have grown up in New Zealand are more vocal about these matters of injustice or social injustice that's happening because they they feel more they've, they've had a much safer upbringing compared to the first generation of our parents who might have been here and their their whole idea was that I should be able to earn some money and have bread on the table and that was their whole driver do you think that's the case yeah definitely like we have there's a lot more talk about it nowadays but there's also the internet as well which is makes it all these big world issues accessible or mm. like in your face a hundred times a day. Yeah. So that, that I think the internet and everything's had a huge impact on awareness and being vocal about problems. Yeah. And, and learning think, about them, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess just before you just have, sorry. <laughs> sorry. You just have like one point of reference where you get your information from. Like yeah. you're just like your parents would tell you what's right and wrong or school, but now like if you wanted to research, I mean there's books of course, but like the internet's just this huge amount of information. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like that. Yeah, like Kofi said, the access to information now is so much easier and accessible. Um, the everyday person as well. Like if they like a anyone can share their story anytime or video something horrible happening or you know before like there was only one person telling stories I guess one point of view mm -hmm. yeah did you want to add to that Selena no yeah I was just agreeing with Kofi um that yeah the next generation and the are so connected with technology and um just being able to find you know like maybe somebody's got a degree in this and you can literally find them on the internet and message them and ask them a question you know like I think that that's crazy <laughs> you know like you wouldn't that that wouldn't be a thing back in the day and I think um it's something that um is different with the generations yeah when yeah. I was young I tried to send a letter to 50 cent 
Nathan's reply, but now I could just try and message him on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's that's probably one of the biggest advantages of um, the internet, isn't it? But then, having said that, I think it's both parties who are getting equal access to this powerful resource which again creates that constant conflict and constant divisions, isn't it? We are so polarized in our opinions because Mm -hmm. now we are listening to same people who would say the same things and we believe that is true. And and it will be the same thing with the other group as well. So it it is so important to, to look at things critically and I think that's where the critical thinking that we would have been taught at schools would be so important in yes. these scenarios. 100%. Do you, do you find that comes through in, in the events that you do? That, you know, do you ever get people who are completely polarized come together in the same room? Has that ever happened? Um, I think not, not in the same room, just on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I think, within the conscious club we have created quite a safe space and that we can all talk to each other about different things and, and have different opinions but I think um wider than that um can be quite polarized on and that's just the internet but um yeah we haven't met those people yet <laughs> in person well, they don't say it in person yeah <laughs> yeah the internet is a good place to hide as well isn't it yes yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What we call them the keyboard warriors, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. So um I want to now take it to the future of the conscious club. And you know, I'm, I'm you don't have to do everything you say you do, but <laughs> <laughs> you can be very optimistic and visionary. Um, so I wanted to know where do you want to take the conscious club in future? Next, let's say next three to five years, ten years. Um, I think so our, our next goal is to become a charity um, which has been kind of like a, a process in itself just so we can access that more funding and upper wages and and rent and stuff like that because um, that's a big barrier for us at the moment being able to access funding because we're not a charity and then not having the time to that circle of um, financial problems but um, yeah that's our next goal um, but I think hopefully once we get that um um eventually like it would be cool to 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 um, go national across new zealand and and do these events everywhere rather than just Otahi. so what kind of events do you want to focus on um do you want to go coffee yeah we're about we were going to have a planning meeting just before covid but i think we'd really want oh i've I want to do a thing about <laughs> fashion and like maybe like a week long or something and there's like workshops on like how to fix your clothes how to make clothes um how to repurpose your clothes and then like talks about um fashion and the environment and maybe some like art installations with messages around that as well pollution and like access to how to have a sustainable wardrobe like stylists um how to do a capture wardrobe just like a big workshop and have it really collaborative as well i'd love to come to that one 
yeah yeah because i think the world is so driven by this whole fast fashion idea you know and and even just having a little bit of thought around clothes is so has become such a critical thing for us as humanity to consider yeah 100% and also just like fixing what you have instead of um, constantly buying things as well Mm. Mm. break the cycle yeah because we've been doing um seasonal clothing secondhand clothing markets and and we're doing that so um like the general public can sell their clothes secondhand and get money and everything that they sell has to be under twenty dollars so it makes um secondhand clothing also accessible to everybody um being able to afford it and also that circular um fashion mm. um which has been like i would say one of our most successful events constant and consistently and everyone goes crazy <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I'm just comparing it when we, when you know, the discussion we had a few minutes ago that Christchurch is not ready for the anti-racism discussion, but Christchurch is definitely ready for the sustainability conversation. Oh, oh my gosh. I, that was such, because we had a um, event up for, what was it? A clothing market. Yeah. At the same time as our anti-racism thing. And that our clothing market had like 2,000 interested or something. And we were like promoting the anti-racism event. We were sharing it every day. We were struggling so hard to get any like um, any traction on it, even though we had billboards and like paid for all the sponsorship and like heaps of sponsors. It was just so frustrating that it's just people are more likely to do something that serves themselves rather than change, make change. Mm. Yeah. Was, it was very frustrating. <laughs> Because I I think at the end of the day, and and we live in an era which is driven by individualism. You know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I like the comment you said that people would rather go to something that would serve them rather than the greater cause. Yeah. Uh, but but I feel that you know, guys, you, you know you you guys doing such amazing work. You know you need to have that support to kind of continue on. Mm. And I and I totally support that idea around going and becoming a charity so you can get access to more funding and more resources to drive these um, amazing initiatives. Are there any more initiatives that you guys wanting to run in the future? Um, I think like another thing that we kind of will hopefully talk about in our planning day <laughs> is um, the sustainable development goals and kind of like really promoting them as well like because a lot of our events align with them anyway it's just more like having more visual and um, more conversation around them because I think you know um, it's meant to be agenda 2030 which is only nine maybe nearly eight years away <laughs> um, so I think it's really important to push that um, and just raise an awareness around them um, mm. so, yeah, we did do a, a, a sustainable development goal exhibition last year and that was really good and um, but I think it's just pushing the um awareness around them about the framework yeah and, and that's interesting Selena because yesterday I was at the SDG summit oh, cool. and one of the things that came out in that summit and my interest in that was driven by management education in my day job as a lecturer around what can management education do to drive 
SDGs and their understanding in future business leaders. And one of the things that came out in, uh, I think, a couple of uh, sessions that I was attending and one which I was facilitating was there is a lack of uh, knowledge around what the SDGs are. People don't understand what they are and they don't even know that there is something called as an SDGs. So I think it'll be really good to continue on that path around raising more awareness. And obviously you guys have the events that are so well aligned with whatever the, the SDGs are because, you know, your, um, your race, anti-racism events, your, you know, clothing markets, the beach cleanup, the ones that you spoke of, obviously align so much with those SDGs. And it's, it's, it's going to be so good to, to kind of, see more and more institutions become more aware of the SDGs in whatever mm. ways they can. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kofi was actually um, working at the SDG summit and she was doing the graphics um, oh. in the graphic recordings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so were you at the summit as well? Yeah. Yeah. I've been to all was it, four of them. And one of our close friends is like an SDG expert. So I'm like SDG'd out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have any favorites in there? In the I was having a lot of um, technical issues getting in um, mm. a lot of them. But I think I, uh, I like this one that was all about um, how to set up a green team in your organization, mm. like for collaborating across um like multiple organizations as well. Yeah, which can be often very challenging. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing we wanted to do is um, have like a hui with heaps of other not-for-profits or organizations to see if we can make some shared goals or plans mm. for the future of like yeah. carbon neutral or something. Yeah, because that was the the theme of the summit yesterday. And that's probably why I was there, because my focus has been goal number 17, which is partnership for goals. Yeah. And and the summit series focused on collaborate for change. And that that is actually the most sensible way to approach because you can optimize the resources and work towards that common goal by using the energy that both the organizations are creating. You know, mm. it, it, it yeah. makes so much sense. And, and you don't see that in the corporate sector because it's all driven by power and yeah. money. Yeah. Whereas in, in the not-for-profit sector, it actually makes sense because everyone's short of resources. No one's got time yes. to keep doing this stuff. So that would be a very exciting future. Yes. Yeah. Right. So. Well, so my, in my last question would be if you were to describe and I'm going to go to each one of you to describe your journey with the conscious club in one word how (laughs) what would that word be I would say a roller coaster like um definitely a roller coaster of emotions (laughs) I, I think I'm just a quite emotional person but um it can be really challenging like emotionally with a lot of the topics and, and stuff that you're constantly learning about um, people's stories and journeys. And, but yeah, I like sometimes, you know, there's a lot of times, so maybe a couple of times that I've, I've wanted to kind of give up because um, 
I can't can't handle it <laughs> it's too much or like it's um it's been too much but I think you know I, I wouldn't be able to do it without the strong um group that we have with our support team <laughs> um I my um five therapists instead <laughs> <laughs> what they are <laughs> oh, oh thank you Selena coffee I the f- exact same word came to my mouth as well it's been really like up and down that's the best way to put it mm. right oh, okay <laughs> I think on that roller coaster discussion we will end today's um conversation thank you Selena and Kofi for joining thank me you. thank you so much thank you You've been listening to Open Table on Plains FM. You can like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Podcasts of this series are available on Spotify, iTunes and the Plains FM website. Open Table has been made possible by the efforts of Lady Khadija Trust with funding provided from the Office of Ethnic Communities. Thank you for listening. Thank you.